Hello and welcome to The Legal Cut, where we dissect your favorite scenes from TV, film, and literature to see how they hold up under the law. I'm Daniel Weber. I'm John Santiago. What topic are we discussing today, John? Well, Dan, today we are asking the question, what makes a marriage a sham in the context of immigration by marriage? Specifically, we're asking whether a marriage between Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock's characters in the movie The Proposal would be a sham marriage. What do you think we should title this one, Dan? Let's call it an illicit proposal. I like it. Now, this is a little different from movies we generally look at, being a romantic comedy. Yes, we've covered action thrillers and family comedies so far, but the proposal gives us a unique topic to discuss. Sham marriages for immigration purposes. Have you, Dan, or anyone you've known engaged in this issue? John, unfortunately, I had a relationship many, many years back with a gal from outside the country, but the fire had gone out and the love sadly had died. She wanted to stay in the country though, but I was not willing to enter a sham relationship to keep her around. I was actually looking to do the opposite. Not to kick her out of the country, but to more kick her out of my life. I see. I think what makes this film compelling romantically is the use of the law as a force that compels two people together, and then a force threatening to keep them apart. So let's run through the facts of the proposal. All right, John. In the 2009 romantic comedy, The Proposal, Sandra Bullock plays the role of Margaret Tate, a powerful executive editor who runs a tight ship in her New York office. One of her terrified underlings is her assistant, Andrew Paxton, played by Ryan Reynolds. Now, everything in her life seems to be under Margaret's control until her work informs her that her work visa is not in proper standing and that she is about to be deported to her home country of Canada. And Margaret puts her loyal assistant Andrew on the spot and tells her bosses that Andrew is more than a mere employee. He is actually her lover slash fiancé. But John, it isn't her boss that she has to convince. U.S. immigration agent Gilbertson immediately suspects a ploy to defraud the immigration office. Gilbertson puts Andrew under pressure, telling him that if he's in on a plot to commit felony-level immigration fraud, he could face fines of up to $250,000 and face a prison sentence of up to five years. Yikes! Andrew holds steady, though, and they tell Gilbertson that not only are they dearly in love, but they're going to visit Andrew's family in Alaska that weekend to break news of their marriage to his family. And there's some mutual blackmail between Andrew and Margaret, with Margaret holding Andrew's dreams of being an editor in her hands, and Andrew having the power to boot Margaret out of the country if he confesses the truth. They fly to Alaska, where Margaret plays the part of the fancy city gal who can't hang with the rough life in the remote Alaskan town of Sitka, where life for Andrew Paxton's wealthy family isn't really all that rough. There are some hijinks that don't really move the plot, like an eagle that tries to snatch the Paxton dog, but ends up snatching Margaret's phone. An awkward small town male stripper gives Margaret a steamy dance as a bachelorette party, Andrew's family is rich because it makes for heightened romantic fantasy. Now, the Paxtons charm Margaret, who, over the course of the weekend, begins to show Andrew her vulnerable side. 
She confesses that after her parents died when she was 16, she hadn't had a family and has learned to live without the close intimacy associated with having a family. Andrew has some beef with his dad, who ends up calling Agent Gilbertson to rat out Margaret to supposedly save his son. This is a bad move, Dad. Andrew holds the line still, and somehow the Paxtons get the wedding bumped up to that weekend. But however, not wanting to hurt Andrew's family, Margaret confesses the scheme to everyone, including Agent Gilbertson. Rough wedding, John. Margaret goes back to New York to clear out of the country, but Andrew chases her down, having raced from the aborted wedding to catch up with her. He professes his love to her and asks her to marry him. She overcomes her reluctance for intimacy and accepts. Audiences across the country weep. The movie ends with Gilbertson interviewing Andrew, Margaret, and the family and friends of the Paxtons about the couple. It's implied that everything works out. Hooray. Yay! Now, John, knowing all this, would you be willing to do what Andrew did if one of your bosses asked you to marry her in a sham marriage? Even if my boss was Sandra Bullock, Mm. I would not take the risk to do this. I do not have $250,000 that I can pay, and I would do very poorly in prison. Plus, as lawyers, we have to uphold our code of ethics, and I do not want any discipline from the California State Bar anytime soon, so absolutely not, Dan. Wise stance, John. So that's the movie. Let's look at the law to see if this can really end happily ever after. All right, John. Well, it's common knowledge that marriage to a U.S. citizen by a non-citizen is one way of immigrating into the United States. However, one requirement is that the marriage not be against public policy. And marriages entered solely for the purpose of evading immigration law, a sham marriage, if you will, is one such type that is against public policy. The historical concerns about marriage fraud prompted Congress to enact the Immigration Marriage Fraud Amendments of 1986, but these turned out to be very unpopular. They were very harsh. So Congress relaxed some of these rules in the Immigration Act of 1990. One of the laws enacted were referred to in the film, actually, INA Section 275C, which makes penalties of up to five years in prison and the $250,000 fines applicable to cases of marriage fraud. Now, this is in addition to crimes that already existed to combat immigration marriage fraud. This includes material false statements to United States agencies, material false statements under oath in connection with a visa application, and perjury. But let's stick to the marriage fraud, or else we're going to be in a hour-long episode. Fair enough, John. The consequences of marriage fraud can be severe. INA Section 204C prohibits anybody who attempted or conspired to enter into a marriage in order to receive permanent residence in the United States from ever obtaining approval of a future immigrant visa petition. This means that the fraud need not be the sole intent of the marriage, so some romantic aspects of the relationship won't necessarily cure the fraud problem. However, a Board of Immigration Appeals case, the Matter of Eisberg, held in 1993 that the Section 204C bar applies only to a person who had a prior marriage, which was found to be fraudulent. It does not prohibit the approval of a visa petition based on the same marriage which had been determined previously to be a sham. So, under this code, Sandra Bullock's character Margaret 
would have to defeat the marriage fraud allegation in this case, or else she would be barred from visa eligibility in all subsequent applications, whether by marriage or otherwise. There's a lot riding on this. Right, John. In the end, we're looking for the bottom line of whether this is a sham marriage. To assess whether a marriage is bona fide or a sham, the relevant inquiry is whether the parties intended at the time their marriage took place to establish a life together. This was the holding of the 1975 case, Bark versus INS. Now, John, do we get an actual marriage in the proposal? No, we get a case of a runaway bride, but the movie implies that they get married after because it shows further immigration investigation proceedings. All right, John, well, let's look at the movie and see what acts suggest that they intended to establish a life together. Well, first off, Dan, when Ryan Reynolds' character Andrew proposes to Margaret, they propose in their workplace amongst all of their co-workers, and it seems like they're still planning to work at the same company and live in New York City together. So I think that shows that perhaps they do intend to share a life together from that point forward. All right, John, so I think there's a lot in this movie that also shows the opposite, that they intended to defraud the government and for this marriage to just be a sham marriage. I believe at some point they're talking about their life after they're divorced, and Sandra Bullock doesn't really seem to fully invest in Ryan Reynolds' character. That's right. She kind of stays away and just tries to wall him off, and that definitely would show that there is some lack of intimacy. We will have to address the fact that they comically sleep in different parts of the room. Uh, Ryan Reynolds sleeps on the floor, and of course, big powerful boss sleeps in the big bed, so there's none of that traditional intimacy aspect of it. Although they do have to pretend in a few scenes uh, when they're interrupted by Betty White as the grandma. Are there any other facts in this film that might point to this actually being a sham, a fraud? Well, John, they discussed actually having a sham and fraud of a marriage to do this. So, yeah. It, that it, might be a good indicating factor, Dan. Uh, I... <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to have to scramble to see if we can find some way to show that their marriage after the fact is truly one of love and one of building a life together and not just a sham marriage. I think the best way to do that, John, would be through our closing statements, our arguments section. The petitioner for marriage has the burden of proof, but the moving party goes first. Now, since we're arguing the sole issue that the marriage is invalid for immigration purposes, that would be the Immigration Enforcement Agency and Agent Gilbertson. So one of us has to be the bad guy and kick Sandra Bullock, an American treasure, out of the country. Are you bold enough to take that on, Dan? John, it's a heavy burden, but for the sake of our listeners, I'll take it on. Should we stipulate that they do, in fact, get married shortly after the last scenes presented in the movie? So stipulated, Dan. All right. This is a case about good intentions by one person, but an inability to be intimate by the other. I won't argue that Andrew Paxton cares deeply for his boss, Margaret Tate, but there has been a one-sided flow of care throughout their professional relationships that carries on into their supposed romantic one. Andrew gives Margaret what she needs, not because they share love, but because Margaret Tate is his boss. I don't doubt that Andrew would do anything for his boss. He agreed to marry her when he hated her. The problem with their marriage is that Margaret does not share the same commitment to Andrew. 
When Margaret and Andrew married, they did not intend to establish a life together, and that makes this marriage a sham. It's tragic, but Margaret is conditioned to be alone. She has lived a solitary life since her parents' unfortunate early deaths. This is sad, but don't let it fool you into believing that 10 days is enough to build a lasting love. Love is not that cheap. Margaret is not going from threatening to destroy Andrew's career to establishing a life together in 10 days. Furthermore, Margaret did not endear herself to the Paxton family, but instead lied to them about her love for Andrew, all while taking their hospitality and grace. When Margaret told the family that she had been lying to them and that she had blackmailed Andrew into this arrangement, she severed any chance of being welcomed into the Paxton family. Finally, Margaret and Andrew are simply a bad couple. Andrew knows how to give Margaret what she needs, but this is because of his professional duty. We saw from every interview with the immigration agent that Margaret knows almost nothing about Andrew. She doesn't even know his favorite color. This is not a case about love. Andrew and Margaret got married to save their jobs, not to establish a life together. Don't fall for this sham of a marriage. Thank you. Strong words, Dan. John, I think one of us needs to stand up for love. Would you like to do the honor? I will, Dan. I will. Love is strange. Sometimes you find love where you least expect it. Now, I will concede this love story did not start in the best place. I acknowledge that this love story began because Margaret was trying to beat the U.S. immigration system by fraud. But instead of focusing on where the love story began, we need to focus on where it ended. There can be no doubt that this was an intimate relationship. Because Andrew worked with Margaret for three years, he knew her better than anyone else. He knew all of her likes, dislikes, her schedule, and her goals, and that's more than many married men can say that they know about their wives. In return, Margaret eventually opened up to Andrew. She told him about the death of her parents and how that changed her as a person forever. She told the family how wonderful she found them to be. And most importantly, she decided not to go through the sham marriage because she truly loved Andrew and didn't want to hurt him. More importantly, Andrew and Margaret do plan to share a life together at the time of their marriage. They both work for the same company and will continue to do so after they're married. They have the approval of Andrew's family, and Margaret seems to enjoy being a part of it. And finally, they've learned that they're the perfect people for each other, despite the rough start to their relationship. For these reasons, Andrew and Margaret's marriage is the real deal. Find them to be bona fide husband and wife, and allow them to live there happily ever after. Well said, John. Now... Realistically, how long do you think their marriage would last? I give it a nice solid three years. It seems like they'll put in a good effort. Uh, do you think that's about accurate? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Well, once again, I think we've covered all the bases, Dan. All right, that's going to do it for today. Remember, we have an email account where you can submit questions, comments, and ideas for new episodes. That email is legalcut at gmail.com. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. I wasn't paying attention. What was that email again? Let me rewind the tape. That. Why, that is legalcut at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more legal analysis of your favorite scenes from pop culture. I'm Dan. I'm John. And this has been The Legal Cut.